Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca. And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decide to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies. A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them. As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games. Many of the movies we watch are unrated, but this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences, so take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen. We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. Where are we, pilot? I don't know, somewhere over the jungle. That's not very definite. You might as well know the truth, we're in trouble. We're off our course, the radio's dead. We can't you land someplace until this storm is over? There's nothing but jungle down there. We're not equipped to land on top of a tree. Better go back to your seat and fasten your safety belt. The storm is giving this old girl a lot of trouble, and I don't know how long she can take it. Hey, Mike. Hey, Amber. All right, we're ready to start with our movie in episode number six. Nabonga. I'm not quite sure that I'm saying that correctly because I don't think they ever say that word <laughs> in the actual movie. And Nabonga means gorilla. And that pretty much gives you, I think, almost all you need to know about this movie. <laughs> That's pretty much it. And Episode I, over. <laughs> it's great that um, this is the first of many gorilla movies. So we this will not be the last time. And it's, a, it's also a woman with a gorilla. Uh, movie. So I, I look forward to having this discussion two to three more times throughout the series. <laughs> uh, yeah, so hopefully each movie will bring something new to the genre and to our discussion. I don't know if that's going to be actually come to pass, but we will do our best. All right, so the title of this movie is Nubanga. It was filmed in 1944, and it has a 4.2 rating out of 10 not on bad. IMDb. Not bad. Not, for this not terrible. I mean, <laughs> I think we have yet to see like a one or a two. I don't even know if there are any movies that are. We'll that get low. there. I have faith we can get there. Okay. Well, here's hoping. <laughs> um, I do have to say, if there were a movie that were going to be rated below a four, this would probably be one of them. Um, so, anyway, it is unrated. It is 75 minutes long. <laughs> Each of those minutes were felt deeply. All right, uh, so let's go, th go through um, the notable actors. This is actually a movie where there is a lot to say about a couple of the actors in this movie. There's two in particular that I want to cover. The first is Buster Crabbe. Younger people may not know the name. I at least recognize the name. I'm not going to, I couldn't, you know, give like his CV based on his name, but I did recognize his name. Did anything come to mind when you saw his name, either on the poster or as the movie started? So this is a true story. I've never told you this story before. I, uh, when I was in third or fourth grade, I had a teacher who was very confused by sort of my, uh, I was in some of the um, programs, the gifted and talented programs, and she thought I knew all things that I didn't know. And at one point I said something about a crab. She said, do you actually know who Buster Crab is? And I was like, <laughs> I'm in third grade. What the heck do you think I'm so that is actually, it's always stuck with me because she was like astonished and was convinced I knew who Buster Crab was, which I didn't. So it's only taken, I don't know, 40 plus years for me to re-encounter properly 
the actual Buster Crab in his native element here. So I finally got to see him. But no, that I, I've heard of him. I knew he was an actor. Uh, it is very clear. I think this is a very Buster Crabish movie. Right. Well, yes. And we think the movie may have sort of been built around him. It is kind of difficult at times to do research on these movies because they're older and it's not like we could go and speak to someone that worked on them or anything like that. So we're relying on a lot of written pieces and some of them not written at the actual time, but written later. Anyway, I did recognize his name. He actually won an Olympic medal in the 400 meter freestyle swimming competition in 1932. I think that was actually in Los Angeles, and he competed in other Olympic Games as well. So where this all comes in that this movie may have been built around him a little bit was that he auditioned to be Tarzan in the famous Tarzan movie, but he lost that role, and he was then cast in a Tarzan copy movie called Lion Man. He went on later to do a lot of westerns. Also, Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers on TV. Um, And I thought very notable, he was married for 50 years to the same woman. Reportedly, his um, high school or college sweetheart, I'm not sure which. um, And they had three children and um, died at the age of 75. So I'm definitely interested in uh, learning more about him. Just um, quite a life. And because of the way this movie was shot, where it was shot the themes. It was the Tarzan thing, but it also brought his swimming very clearly <laughs> into into focus uh, on that. So, hey, go ahead. It's interesting because, well, for one, we're gonna we're gonna actually get to see the Lion Man movie. It's in the lineup, so can't wait to see him again. <laughs> the Buster Crabbiest movies that we see, but Tarzan is sort of an interesting cultural uh, milestone. I think I feel like it's a little bit like the 1930s, 40s Star Wars, where apparently it was such a big deal that everybody wanted a sweet, sweet piece of Tarzan. And you get a lot of these sort of people in the jungle with giant apes and taming animals sort of conversations. Buster Crab obviously is actually not that character, as we'll get to, but uh, he's in it. And it seems like there are several of those kinds of films that are uh, were certainly influenced by the success of Tarzan. Yeah, and that, again, is a lot of these movies, as we're finding out, they were sort of filmed in response to a different, more popular thing, which is so interesting. And we see that today, too, but I think maybe we're uh, slightly less aware of it, sort of. But there are trends, you know, um, in in movies, for sure. So another uh, interesting person that was in this movie um, is Prince Madupe. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly who was born in 1901 in French West Africa. So he was a native of Africa before he came to the United States. And he's known for Nabanga, South of Suez, and Sundown. So those were some of the movies. I believe he worked on other movies as well. In this movie, he was uh, a primary character, had had a big role in the movie. But I believe that he also worked as a consultant. Because it did, it does seem like during this time, these 30s and 40s, that there were all these movies that sort of like took place in Africa, probably filmed by people who had never been there and didn't know anything. Um, so I think that was a role that he filled. He, that he filled. He also wrote wrote a book. I don't know if I can find this book. I'm gonna I'm gonna try. Um, the title of it is called "I Was a Savage," and he wrote that in 1958. And so it was a contrast of his life 
between his life in Africa, growing up in tribal Africa, and then coming coming through uh, his his education as a young man and then coming to the United States and contrasting the cultures. It sounds incredibly fascinating. Um, some of the reviews that I read called it authentic, said it was a multifaceted view of French Guinea, and that it, came, it contains a lot of freshly original language. So as a total book nerd, I'm, I'm going to try to find this because I just, I have to know more. It's pretty exciting. I think one of the things that's interesting too is, uh, for one, uh, this is probably setting the bar low, but it's somewhat more authentic in that we have people who, um, you know, hopefully are actually re- from the region, it seems like a little bit, whereas some of these uh, movies I know are really tone deaf. Uh, I'm not saying that the gorilla <laughs> costume is is accurate, but it definitely, uh, it tries. So uh, there's props for that and that they made an attempt to at least be semi-authentic. I don't think the animal footage is nearly accurate, but they did, they did try. So let's, uh, first of all, I'm going to read the, (laughs) I'm going to read this description. I have not, I have not edited it. it, Neither have I read it um, (laughs) before this very moment, which makes it all the more hilarious. All right. All right. Here we go. Nabanga. A young girl is the only survivor of a plane crash that carried herself and her father, a bank embezzler, escaping with the money. Interesting sentence. Okay. Befriended by a gorilla that protects and cares for her, the girl grows up in the jungle guarding the fortune. The son of the bank president, from which the money was stolen, tracks down the girl to recover the money, but falls for the girl and must protect her from an unscrupulous guide who wants the money for himself. Okay, that second sentence was actually re- really good. The first couple I'm not so sure about. Okay, so do you think that was accurate? It's not quite right. Yeah, I mean, it starts out sort of uh, in that direction, and it certainly sets up the idea. Basically, you have to have the conceit that there's this girl by herself with a gorilla, right? So we get those pieces for sure. It's a lot more nuanced in why everybody, why she's involved at all, um, because it involves treasure hunting. And sort of this power struggle between two different interests around this missing jewelry, which is really not ever explained as to what it is. It just came from a bank. It involves jewels. There's actually bank notes, which you have to ask how good that is 10 years on in the jungle. But it involves some <laughs> amount of treasure and a box and, uh, and a gorilla and a girl. And uh, everybody else is, is basically just she's, – she's sort of almost in the way, frankly, for these various interests, Buster Crab and friends, to try and get this treasure. But what's interesting is there isn't like a I don't want you to get the treasure, I want to get the treasure sort of duality here. Everybody wants the treasure and everybody feels the gorilla and subsequently the girl is an obstacle. But I guess it's like, you know, jewelry and then like paper money that was – in the jungle unprotected for 10 years. Also, this woman was a young girl when her and her father left, I don't know, wherever they were, got on this plane because he'd stolen this stuff, crashed somewhere in Africa in the jungle. I don't even know that she would exactly know what paper money was or what to do with it. And like, frankly, why wouldn't it have been used long ago either to start a fire or like toilet paper? Like what, like, <laughs> why would she still have that? I don't even know unless it was like she was holding on to it because the dad did die. 
obviously, and then she was left alone. The dad kills the pilot of the plane because the pilot of the plane figures out that he stole all of this stuff, and then he shoots him. And it's like, well, that's a smart thing to do after you crashed into the jungle. Like, let's get rid of the other healthy man that can, like, sort of help, you know, help you get back to civilization. No, um, the dad shoots him, and then the girl is on her own, and she nurses this gorilla back to health, and then they are fast friends, and, of course, the gorilla is protective of her, maybe as he would be of a, a mother. I don't really know gorilla family structure, so. <laughs> yeah, and there's a whole sort of glossing over of the dad's death. He went into the jungle and never came back. Yeah. Um. So there's that super weird. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, there's no clear... We knew, apparently, we find out later he was sort of stealing this money. It was it belonged to a bank, and it ruins other people's lives down the road. So um, Other people one, are accused. There's fallout back, you know, right. at, and, in the wherever he stole the money from. Yeah. Right. And that that's sort of the motivating piece for the Buster Crab character to sort of go try and get it, because in some ways, he's not just really about the money. He wants to return it. What a great guy to family members because he's the son of the other banker who took the fall took for the this heat. yeah for this right so and it's kind of glossed over very quickly because you're like why does this guy care that much in fact that none of this is really explained it sort of unspools as we see more dialogue and and conflict and then everybody else just wants the money they just want the jewel yeah they sweet, just want well they don't even really know they're just like hearing rumors and also i'm a little bit like was there no insurance like it's a bank right so the buster crab character his name is ray gorman He's trying to track this down because he's trying to clear his father's name for some reason. I don't know. It's it's a really long way to go. He must have really loved his dad. Maybe he was a great guy. I don't really know. But oh, also, so I have to tell you the hilarious tagline. You want to hear the hilarious tagline? Oh, for this I movie? can't wait. Please. Uh, it's just oh, cringe. Okay, here we go. I can't. I, I can't believe I have to say this out loud. But <laughs> here it goes. A white girl rules the jungle. Her strength of power was Nabonga. And it's all in caps. Like, that's very clear. It's all in caps. And this is a, a, a central point of the movie, is that everyone's heard rumors about this woman because she's in the jungle, she's living alone with the animals and her gorilla, and whose name is Samson. And not Nabonga, by the way. Not Nabonga. <laughs> I don't clear. know. It's kind of like Nabonga would call a gorilla gorilla. I don't know. I, I know people that, you know, <laughs> name their cats like cat, you know, cat in French or whatever. <laughs> um, but everyone's heard of her and they know that there's a plane crash because they're, they're saying that she stays in a house with wings. And so there's this mythology that has built up over the years. And of course, the Ray Gorman character comes to the area Here's this mythology. Puts two and to get two together. It's not too difficult to understand that this is the this is the was once a girl, now a woman that he's looking for, and that she might have all these jewels and stolen goods there. So anyway, that's that's the beginning of the movie. And then of course he goes looking for her, but other people follow him because they want the jewels as well, um, and they cause trouble. Yeah, and it's funny because um, I guess that's Carl, right? Carl? Carl. Carl. Yeah. Carl so, Hurst. <laughs> Carl is uh, basically can't, doesn't have a clue how to do this. He just follows Ray. So it's sort of like, oh, Ray knows. Well, I, then I guess I know. And he has sort of a, a companion, a woman, who's sort of trying to wheedle this out of Ray. 
And she figures out enough of it that they decide uh, because there's a map involved that uh, is it to- 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 Tobo Tobo uh, actually helps because Ray helps Tobo. Tobo says, I'm going to help you, which is good because Ray would have died <laughs> pretty clearly by himself, left to his own devices. And uh, he draws a map and that starts a scuffle and a, and a competition to basically find what they term as the White Witch. Right. I love that. And Tobo is played by Prince Madupe. Right. Um, yeah. They, so they call her the White Witch. It's just every time they said that, like a little part of my heart just sort of like just shriveled and died and like went off into my bloodstream. And it was just very, very crazy. Um and at one reviewer says, <laughs> this sums up the movie perfectly, I think, is that Tobo is the lone decent person in the movie. And he is. He is helping the Buster Crab character, the Ray Gorman character, find the plane crash and find the woman and all of that. And what's really funny to me, too, is that they never talk about... We should find this woman. This is probably not a great life that she's living here. Although she looks fucking fantastic. Like when they find her, like like she's fucking amazing, like super sexy. I don't know. She's got some jungle lipstick going on, like looks amazing. It's just like, you know, living her best life. Got a comb somewhere. Scissors probably because her hair looks awesome. You know, so she certainly um, doesn't really look like she's hurting. But there's never any discussion of helping her and perhaps taking her back to, a, a, a you know, a life in not living in the middle of the jungle by herself with, with the animals. Her welfare is uh, ill-considered. As it's I said, Ray's yeah. a little bit focused on redeeming his name more than just about anything else, including her welfare or, frankly, putting anybody else at risk, which is is uh, in its own entertaining way because he, he doesn't give a shit about anybody else. No, no. And, I, and, I, and I think this, too, is kind of like this trope of the person person living alone by themselves in a remote, hostile place but thriving. Um, she doesn't ever say anything like, I would like to go back to where there's running water. Like, like there's no, you know, she just seems like she's going to be happy to be there, like, forever. So, just not You, you could almost call it Tarzan-esque, yes. Yeah, tar- yeah. Tarzan-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, so, where the Buster Crab's special skills come into play is that they're, him and Tobo are journeying through the jungle. They're trying to find Doreen and the White Witch. Ugh. And so they encounter a lot of animals. Oh, my God, there's animals everywhere. The animals are everywhere. You're hearing them. You're seeing them. And that's where this footage comes in that you were talking about. So they used a lot. I'm kind of curious. I I would be interested to find out how much of the movie was was actually filmed for the movie and how much of it was actual, like, stock footage that came from wherever. I'm like, going to go out on the limb and say 100 percent no no i mean like how like what percentage of the movie was that stock footage you know versus oh, oh total you mean total yeah like total yeah. because um there was a lot of it so there was just a, a lot of like animals running around you know national geographic t- i don't know when national geographic was founded but wherever they got this film footage from which actually um if you've ever like i mean most of us enjoy a good nature documentary right 
But when you see what the people go through in order to get that footage, it's a lot. Like, it's brutal what happens to their bodies. They have to stay in places for forever, waiting for the animals to come around. It takes a long time. They're being bitten by whatever. Snake, like, like it's, it's dangerous, difficult work. So to me, it's very interesting that everybody's just like, oh, it's stock footage of jungle animals. And I'm like, no, like people's like suffered to get that footage. And then for it just to be inserted into this movie and not credited in any kind of way that I could ascertain. So uh, yeah, that's a little part of it. There's a question of it's the right continent even. Some people were saying that might be some of these maybe footage from India. We're not sure. And there may be zoos. There may be zoo footage where it's sort of like, you know, fake tree, fake tree. Watch the lions walk around in a circle. So I don't know how much effort was put into this, um, but I will say that uh, they thought you wouldn't notice. (laughs) Right, right. And yeah, that's a good point is that uh, whether or not you notice, I mean, you notice the difference in the way the footage looks shot at a different frame rate. The coloring is different. And we talk about Africa, we say Africa, but like Africa is very big and very different from place to place. So even if it was shot in Africa, like that doesn't mean a whole fucking lot. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it could be, you know, st- animals in there that have no business being in this, you know, movie that was filmed in a particular, supposed to be in a particular place. It's just well, in, all you have to do is get one chirpy monkey to make the same noise one oh million my God. times through the whole film and it doesn't really matter if you can see him or not because you know he's there the whole movie the whole movie chirping in the background it was like um i should have got the name of like the sound editor or whomever worked on this because i was like okay like you overdid it bro like you overdid it crocodile can sure give you a workout one that you saved my life again uh you had more sense than i did i should have taken your advice Come on, let's get dressed. So Buster Crab, he's a swimmer. So, of course, there has to be a scene where he's swimming and he wrestles a crocodile. <laughs> a big, floppy, rubber crocodile. Yes. Right, right. And, and I, think he, I think he wrestles some other animals as well while he's swimming in the water. But, you know, he's swimming. Like, I didn't mind like that part. I didn't mind watching Buster Crab he- do what he does best. Most of the time, he has his shirt sort of provocatively torn open. It's supposed to be hot in the jungle, but he does walk around like he just can't keep his clothes on. So, you know, I get it. I get it. Well, I look, if I was a man and I looked like that, I would not keep my clothes on either. So I get it. Uh, But, but, you know, he was definitely at the top of his physical game, although he went on to win awards in swimming like well into his 60s. So he was always you know, at the top of his game. Um, but for sure, like, that was a part that was written in for him. Tobo. Oh, Tobo. Um, we lose Tobo in the in the fracas with some of the animals. Um, well, there's parts of him places. I'm sure we didn't lose him completely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But he was the lone decent person in the movie. Prince Madupe, uh, I, I think, was a good actor. Buster Crab, maybe chosen a little bit more for his looks, which is fine. And some of the other characters, I think, also maybe chosen for the way that that they looked. But in any case, um, so eventually, Ray, shirtless, (laughs) finds Doreen. And the other characters are chasing Ray, so they also catch up with Doreen. 
And then Doreen's gorilla, Samson, is her protector. So he is going to basically, he just attacks anyone that comes along until she says stop, essentially. You have to make peace with her in order to sort of hang out in that area is is part of what happens. And it, it is funny because it's a lot of like, oh, Samson, stop. <laughs> little, I know. Like, oh, Samson, slap him on the, don't pull, slap him on don't the pull his arms off. <laughs> don't be silly. Yes. Come uh, the, on now, you this film, goose. Which is, again, you know, the t- time when it was made, right? It's just it, fascinating because he just apparently rips people apart. Like, uh, Samson just rips people apart. They're just, they're just dead. They scream off camera, and then you see something um, that is their dead body parts, and that's it. And th- this happens more than once, where if you upset Samson, there's not a threat of death. There's not a close call that he was almost mur- murdering you. He doesn't sort of just beat his chest and then... Doreen comes and calls him off. He just straight up tears you limb from limb like a Wookiee. Like, like a Wookiee. <laughs> Let the Wookiee win. All right. So <laughs> they all catch up and then they realize, um, not Buster Crab, but well, Buster Crab's trying to talk Doreen into like, hey, give me the stuff. And she's like, no, it's fucking mine. Like, you know, go somewhere else. Like, leave me alone. I'm fine. And, um, I mean, she's almost like a non-character. She almost, like, doesn't even have a personality. It's kind of stupid. Anyway, and... Well, she has a little bit of personality because there's a lot of sexual tension between her, who is very excited having seen Buster Crab shirtless, and him. Yeah. And she definitely uh, reacts differently and is like, oh, I haven't seen a man like you before kind of thing that, you know, apparently gives him some kind of awkward advantage um, but it doesn't really last, and, and some of the best parts of this film is Buster Crab playing a – he's attempting to be socially polite, but he's very sensitive to the fact that there's this giant gorilla who may rip him limb from limb while he's trying to be polite. And that is quite entertaining, I have to say. Yeah, and he is polite. Isn't Again, it's not saying to her, hey, would you like to come where, you know, there are, you know, running water and hot food and, you know, no animals, like, trying to kill you every minute. It doesn't go into any of that. He's just, like, he just makes his case that, uh, he, you know, his father was wronged and he's right. And she, I mean, she's not going to understand any of this anyway. But he also doesn't, like, try to sort of just like pick her up and be like no you're coming with me type of a thing because he could have subdued her pretty easily i think you know occasionally he gets the little handsy yeah right and the gorilla slaps him around or threatens him a few times which is well deserved and entertaining i mean samson doesn't put up with anybody's shit through this whole film and i have to say that is refreshing there's a little bit of like he's not again on a leash he does what he wants, and if Doreen decides to stop him, he stops. But most of the time, he doesn't get stopped at all. No, most of the time, she doesn't say nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So, they have to get rid of the gorilla. It's me. This is this is the most hilarious part of the movie to me. This is hilarious to me. So, they decide they're going to build a cage for the gorilla. All right. They build this cage. It looks like something... I don't know that we could build a cage that looks like that. Like, it looks pretty good. Like, the wood looks like it was, you know, treated. And it's not like, it's not like you know, Robinson Crusoe, you know, <laughs> chic. It looks like they went to the the local hardware store, got some wood, and put this cage together. And then it has, like, a, like, like they have to 
close it somehow. So they've got like a remote like lever that, that they're going to, a rope that's going to like shut the cage. So they're going to like lure the gorilla into the cage and then like let go of the rope and then the door to the cage is going to come down and then they secure it somehow. So it's like, it's a lot. And they seem to put it together in like five minutes. So it's fucking hysterical. And they asked, you know, they basically asked the the professor from Gilligan's Island to make this trap, which, like you said, works really well for what it is. It's also well thought out. Like, I don't know, given what the gorilla was doing, I'd be surprised if this bamboo wooden thing would even hold him. Um, but apparently it does. It, it does. And, and he, uh, Ray, Buster Crab, hatches this plan with this sort of playing both sides woman who's in the employ of the other guy the villain she's like along for the ride like i don't know like she she says at one point that she wants a cut of this stuff right she's just kind of coming along because she's sort of just hoping to like get something out of this i guess and she's important because she's the one who first she's you know against them then she's for him she's given information then she's like well i'm gonna help you now and they they come up the two of them with this ridiculous trap and later she's the one who opens it to her detriment. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> needless to say, like that doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> and uh, everybody ends up dead. <laughs> can we talk about the gorilla suit? I feel like we can't. It's like the gorilla in the room. We need to talk about the gorilla suit. All right. Go ahead. Like, give me your thoughts on the gorilla suit and then I'll give you um, So this is interesting. You know, again, I feel like. It's always interesting because you're like, did everybody know black and white movies were hard to see what was going on and and the uh, the reused animal footage and this gorilla suit tells me yes they fig- they not only knew that they relied on it and they were kind of hoping you wouldn't look too closely. Um, I think the suit isn't terrible. I mean, it looks big. It's you know certainly bigger than what I would expect most gorillas in the wild look like. So they they're definitely going for this like big giant it's not just a normal gorilla it's like a giant gorilla kind of character um you know the mouth doesn't move much but the rest of it seems menacing and there's a few times where he fights other gorillas even so there's multiple gorilla suits just flailing around and rolling around in the in the jungle there um you know you don't get to see a lot of it because most of the gorilla movements are in some kind of fake grass or fake brush but uh, there's definitely a lot of gorilla in it, more than I would have expected for a guy in a suit. Yeah, you know, I I didn't have a big problem with the suit. I got to say, it didn't bother me. I was more bothered by the soundtrack of the constant chirping of some animal in the background and the the, the constant other jungle noises, which is kind of seems like um if you have one of those sound machines what people think that the jungle sounds like in a sound machine and honestly like there's sounds but probably most of the time they're fairly muted right and especially if there's people around animals are not going to come around when there's people around and you're not going to hear you know as much wildlife this is something that we say to like our scouts all the time when we're out walking in the woods right but we say shut up because you are not going to see any animals or anything if you are as loud as you are it never works they're always loud we never see any animals even though sometimes you're supposed to actually look for animals and it's like who made this curriculum because kids are loud um so anyway so carl kills samson carl Samson kills Carl. Samson kills... What was her name? The actress's name is Fifi. What was... <laughs> she, 
She she was important, but not that important, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah. I I, I oh, gosh, it's terrible. Like I should pay more attention to um, how women are treated in in these movies. Um, but anyway, everybody ends up dead. Marie, her name is Marie. All of them are dead. It's just Doreen and Ray, and Ray apparently brings her with him to wherever he goes next. So, because the like, end, the end, <laughs> the end <laughs> kind of is it like and th- there's a few things that happen really quickly, but it's yeah. pretty much implied, which somebody who reviewed it was like, well, she lost one protector, which she's supposed to do. She can't like never far be it for her to just survive in the jungle and be like, I don't need you, dumbass. I like, you know, I live without just the gorilla the whole time. No, she don't have the gorilla. Got to go to civilization. The end what someone's life is like and how they achieve happiness and whether or not they're happy living in the woods with no running water and no toilet paper or whether they would be happier going somewhere that has those things but also comes with other stresses and difficulties. Plus, she's going back. Everybody knows what her father did. People may have sympathy because she survived all that time. And even though she looks like a pinup model, um, she's probably really fucking tough. Um, she probably kill you as soon as look at you. But who knows? Who's to say? That's not a, a well, question. Well, the movie I... doesn't care either because it just wraps No, up, because so. it just ends. And that's <laughs> yeah. the end of it. And we don't really know what happens to them after that. I don't know. I was fine with the movie ending there. I was not really in love with this movie. Well, at that so. point, it, how, how many minutes was it? I don't know if we said. It was a 75-minute long movie. Yeah. So it had already worn out its welcome. I feel like this would have been an hour and there were probably 15 minutes of animals. <laughs> around, <so. laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the plot wasn't terrible. It had its issues. But it was pretty meaty. But again, as we see in a lot of these movies, there's a lot of discussion, plot points that go nowhere, incidents that go nowhere, things that like dead ends. And then the last 10 minutes is uh, a whole bunch of important shit happens really quickly. And then the movie ends and you're like, whoa, what just happened in the last 10 minutes? And what what am I taking from this movie? And did I just see what I just saw? So I also think like you have to watch it with another person. Like if you watch it by yourself, like you are going to be like, what just happened? Yeah. And, and these films, honestly, because we research them, I think we get a lot more out of them. Um, and I could only imagine if you watch this at a drive through or whatever, just forget it. Like if there's a gorilla, somebody screams occasionally and you hear chirping. That's probably all you remember from the film. I, don't know. I mean, if so. you went to the bathroom, to, I mean, look, you, you could have gone like the middle of the movie. You could have gone to like the concession stand. You could have gone to the bathroom. You could have gone down to the little playground that was near in the front of the, <laughs> in the drive-in theater. You could have gone and like, you know, hooked up. And then come back, and then you saw the last 10 minutes, and you would have got the whole movie. Like, that could have happened. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> could you, though? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Am I being a little hyperbolic? Maybe so. I hope you'll stay here all the time. Hi, that's very nice, but I, I think that I just. I can always find plenty to eat, and you can sleep there. <laughs> no, I, uh. I think I better sleep outside. I, I can't sleep well, you know, if, they, if I don't have a lot of fresh air. All right, then. Sleep in the trees with the monkeys if you want to. No, no, I'll, I'll get a tree of my own. I, I don't want to bother with the monkeys. So, big question. Is this a horror movie or is it something else? Oh, no, it's not a horror movie. It's it's definitely a, uh, a Tarzan uh, homage with some cheesecake and beefcake. 
which, you know, right. I think people looked at it and went, you know what Tarzan needs more of? Hot chicks and, and buff dudes. I think they had the buff dudes from Tarzan. So they were like, you know, we just need a hot chick. So that's what they came up with. <laughs> I think well, gorilla. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess it delivered that. And as we were watching this movie, we, we were talking a little bit about King Kong and maybe a, a relationship there. King Kong was in 1933, by the way. So I don't know that this was necessarily, this movie was in response to King Kong. But maybe it was just a continuation of a trend of gorillas and then this African element being in movies and and all of that. It, so. It's very Beauty and the Beast. That was always a theme that right. King Kong had. But it, it certainly it's in these other movies. And we'll see it again uh, in the series. But Beauty and the Beast kind of thing, this is definitely the way they like to portray it, where the gorilla is the beast. The beast is really the men. But okay. so <laughs> <laughs> The beast was inside us all along. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to our own homegrown rating system. And we're going to do knives, wine, and overall. So knives. This is how, what was the body count like? How scary was the movie? Was it gory? Did it live up to its title? All right, so how many knives are you going to give this movie, Mike? Well, I mean, look, Samson straight up tears people apart. Now, the yeah. problem is you don't actually – you have to take everybody's word for it, right? You don't see it. You kind of see a foot. Well, they don't come back. So, yeah. yeah. You hear a scream. So there's a little bit of like – it's not like I can t- – for all I know, they fainted and died. I don't know, tripped on a rock and hit their head while the gorilla was chasing them. But we know that it's implied that he straight up ripped several people apart. I mean, Samson kills at least three. Um, he also beats up another gorilla – so right. he he's responsible for quite a bit of, of by the way, at some point Ray gets shot, just to be clear, and then near as I can tell just gets back up and I don't face. understand. It it looked like <laughs> it looked like Carl shot at him and tagged wait, did Carl shoot him or Marie? I thought oh, it was Carl. God. Okay. So he he gets tagged. Yeah. But, but and he puts his hands up like he blocked it and then <laughs> like like Wonder Woman. <laughs> If you just put your hands up, that blocks the bullet, I guess. And I then, don't know. You know. Maybe when you have muscles like Buster Crab, it's yeah. like the bullets just fucking bounce <laughs> off of you. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's exactly how it happened. Right. So, yeah. So, he sort of falls over and then he gets up. and Then he gets is, up and, like, he's fine. He's like, he fine, sh- I'm all good. He does, the, he does the, you know, cartoon shake it off, you know, gets the stars off of his head and then he runs back into the fray. So, uh, yeah. But in terms of uh body count i mean there was a decent number i don't i wouldn't so part of this is body count versus how scary and gory it was gory is theoretically it's pretty gory you don't see it scary not particularly scary at all um body count not a small amount of bodies right so there's there's a certain amount so i think it's in the 2 range um i you know there is a decent amount more than i would expect from a gorilla okay so what 2 2.25 2.5 oh uh, yeah I would say 2.5. 2.5. All right. For 19, 1944, I guess that was pretty high body count and body parts because he's ripping people apart, you know, frankly. We think. We think. We think. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm going to give it a 2.0. I'm going to give it a 2.0. Okay. All right. I, you know, I would have liked to have seen maybe a limb flying or in the grass or like whatever you maybe know? you did how would you know i don't know if you could tell uh, that there was a limb in the grass i don't know i mean yeah it's a lot was left to the imagination and and i'm mm-hmm. not opposed to things being left to your imagination but too fucking much was left up to the imagination with this movie they could <laughs> including like what happened to everybody at the end all right so wine 
one to five wine glasses. And when we're talking about wine, we're basically just saying, like, was it fun to watch? Did it have any unique uh, moments? Did it bring anything new to the genre or to the time period in which the movie was made? So what do you think? So and five being the best, right? So five is the most entertaining. Five is the best. Five glasses of wine. It's a lot of wine. So um, I'm a sucker for giant eight movies um i know you're not but i I'm am so, so not <laughs> so <laughs> i uh i actually enjoyed this more than i would have expected it it brought some interesting things mostly because i thought samson was way more bloodthirsty than i i thought he was going to be uh and frankly sort of off the hook a little bit there was no doreen doesn't really have any control over him he just sort of does stuff and then she convinces him not to do things um so i enjoyed that that piece i i would definitely go uh higher than i would think but there's that Freaking monkey <laughs> will not shut up. <laughs> so, you know, we got two monkeys here, an ape and a monkey, and the simians sort of, I think, come together around a two. A two? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, I think this may be the first time that we give it the same rating. I'm not really sure. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to give it a two. Uh, it was kind of, it was fun in a, like, voyeuristic kind of, MST3K a little bit kind of way that we were making fun of some of the things. I did really appreciate the character of Tobo. And I do think that character was created and portrayed well, which I found surprising because I expected to see the treatment of Africans in this movie to be viewing it between like, you know, behind my, my hands over my eyes. So um, I, I was grateful that it wasn't quite uh, as bad as I expected. But at the same time, there's just so many, so many drawbacks. I mean, look, it was great to see West Crab swimming around shirtless, but that only goes so far. You know what I mean? Like that could only do so much for me. Uh, so yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that a two. Okay, so overall rating, what are we going to give it? overall so just to remind you mike you gave it 2.5 knives and two glasses of wine so what do you think your overall rating would be i would go on the 2.5 side i actually um for all the angry monkey noises i feel like uh 2.5 was i I did still enjoy it um for what it was there was certainly shortcuts and annoying things and horrible racism and horrible misogyny but all that aside um in the context it was better than i expected it would be yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my two rating. So I gave it two knives. I gave it two glasses of wine. I'm gonna stick with two. I'm gonna give it a two point Not, I don't know. I mean, I think it's worth seeing for understanding the time period and this sort of you know wanting to do stuff in Africa and the Tarzan aspect of it and. This idea of the beauty uh, in the beast and the woman who could survive on her own in the jungle with just a gorilla and all of these tropes and sort of understanding where they came from and, and like how they were created and, and, you know, how we still see them in things today. But I also wonder about this idea of the gorilla being this animal that just wanted to kill everyone unless his keeper told him not to. And maybe that's not a great thing for the survival of, you know, these beautiful animals who are hunted and killed and maybe because they are thought of as being vicious from movies like this. So not, 
for that aspect, like, I, like I don't think that's great. It will not be the last <laughs> film that portrays animals as bloodthirsty killers. I am afraid. Yeah, so. and and you know, I don't know as much about like gorillas in that respect, but like in America, we have like wolves, mm-hmm. right? You know, they're the villain in so many stories, and yet, <laughs> you know, you're not going to be out walking somewhere, and a pack of wolves is going to surround you and kill you. Like that's not going to happen. But that's what the, the the public narrative was, and so that's why they're vilified, and then people just thought, you see, well, if you have to kill it, and it's not great, and it wasn't good for the survival of that of that species, and so I just um, think it might be the same with, with the gorillas and these Yeah, it's kind of like bears. Bears up here in the northeast, and I think bears. that's how we yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's now talk about the character that you have created based on this so, movie. Uh, you're not going to be happy with me because I changed it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the ape. That's, I think that that's was in totally the fine. That's fine. <laughs> it's the white witch. Okay. All right. So here we go. We've got a character that is created specifically for your tabletop role-playing games as an original character that Mike has created. All right. So it is, did you actually name it the White Witch? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Come oh, at me, bro. Oh, man. <laughs> the fuck? All right. May, like, maybe in the telling of this, you can redeem yourself to me. I don't know. I've had a little bit of wine. So, all right. Tell me about the White, the white Witch. Who well, is the White Witch? Look, so Ray slash Buster Crab is the typical murder hobo. He's a adventurer who just cares about redeeming himself and getting some money in the way. Uh, and I think he acts very much like you'd see adventurers in typical role playing games, which is they probably don't get too nuanced or particularly concerned about people's livelihoods, relationships, etc. So um, in that regard, the, Samson alone is is a good foil, but I don't think he was enough. I think the idea of someone protecting a treasure makes her actually a really interesting villain. She's not really a villain. Um, She's more neutral, but she's very dedicated to keeping her treasure. So I actually go through what the treasure looks like. We take out the cash notes because that doesn't make any sense. But the jewelry is in there. And um, she is uh, meant to essentially be sort of a druid. She's a half-elf druid. Uh, One of the things that's interesting is I have it that she's actually – her dad was human. Her mom was elven. So she's actually lived a while. So she's sort of childlike at a time when she shouldn't be anymore for her age. I mean, let's try and ex- make an excuse for the way the film was portrayed. And she does absolutely have Samson at her disposal. So she's really, I thought, an interesting foil, way better than the movie, uh, an interesting foil. Right. Okay. She's got a lot going on there. She's got quite a background. She's human, but she's also elven. She lives in the woods. What are her stats? So she is a druid, so that means she's high on wisdom. High on wisdom? She, her wisdom is high. She's and high she, on wisdom. <laughs> yeah, I am not high on wisdom. Um, <laughs> hope to be later. But uh, she, uh, she's very much a character that has the jungle at her disposal. Mostly animals, right? So this, she's not like a plant druid, but the idea that she can uh, summon different beasts if she needs to to essentially uh, help her. And the idea, too, is that she manages the jungle. She's very familiar with it, so the jungle helps her. She can hide. Her animals can hide. She can cause them to get enraged. And, of course, most importantly, she can summon Samson. So where she lives is more jungle than woods. Correct, yes. Okay. It is absolutely a jungle. There's a, they mention a mountain, so you sort of go over the mountains, and there's a jungle. We don't mention airplanes, obviously, because it's fantasy setting. But the concept is the same, that she sort of got this hidden possibly cursed treasure and she is dedicated to defending it okay 
I, you know, I do have a soft spot for druids. I think a druid was one of the first characters that may have been the first character I played because of my background um, as an environmentalist. Of That's course, right. the druid archetype always spoke to me. And I also, uh, I always played out like a really prickly druid. Like I think druids sometimes people think of them as being like, uh, like they're in nature and so they're very, you know, serene and peaceful and almost like they know more about life than other people. And my druid was always like, get the fuck out. You don't belong here. Leave the animals alone. You know, <laughs> take only pictures, leave only footprints, and get the fuck out of my forest. You so, played a prickly character? What? What? All right, so she's in a jungle. So yeah. where might this character be used? What kind of plots, uh, storylines might she be involved in? Yeah, the obvious one is is her treasure hoard. It's actually considered a treasure hoard. So it's it's the all the jewelry that that sweet sweet jewelry in a box that she ferociously defends. But she could also be on the path, you know, anything in the jungle. So if you have a lost city, a lost village, anything that's sort of a secret that's potentially buried in the jungle, she could be an ally actually. But you got to get past Samson. And uh, th- so there, there's also that other part which I like the idea that frankly there's no mention of Samson until you mess with her. Uh, and then he shows up. So I, I do think one of the things that's sort of interesting about Nabanga is it sort of gives away the star a little bit, right? So Nabanga, the movie, was very much about this gorilla. So you sort of knew what you were in for. You knew there was going to be a gorilla. You knew it was going to be a big gorilla and a guy in a suit. That's not necessarily how this would play out in the game, where she's definitely, uh, he's he's sort of one of the things she can do as a legendary action is to summon him. So I think that really makes her interesting because that's an ace in the hole, right? Giant ape. And by the way, giant ape. So he's bigger than he appears in the movie uh, is significant when a giant ape shows up in a game. Okay. Let me ask you this. Does it need to be an ape? Could someone swap out a different animal? Should they, should their plot have need for doing so? Totally. Um, The idea is that she has access to certain different animals uh, as part of a druid. So it could be anything really. Uh, it's just a, it's a summon, but the idea is you can only do it once. So whatever it is, the character is unique. So if it's a dinosaur, maybe she summons a T-Rex. It could be anything like that. But the idea is it happens once. So, you know, it's her ace in the hole. It's her protector that she brings out that you wouldn't think because, you know, she seems girlish. She seems younger. Um, you may not think she's particularly got these powers. She certainly has druid powers, which make her dangerous in her own right. But then something big comes out. So, I, I don't care what it is, but I think it should be ferocious and, and vicious. Yeah. Right. And like I was saying, that is people discount druids because they think of them as very benign, sort of like, you know, spiritual and like for real, I did not play my druid that way. Like she did not fuck with other characters and was just not happy. She had a reason to be, going on adventuring with other characters but she was not happy about it and she did not play so i kind of feel like that that my character that i played sounds a little bit like what what the white witch might be totally and it for all we know it could have been inspired not that i would ever acknowledge or admit that (laughs) (laughs) well you know there's this idea that like creativity can be transferred between people and ideas can be transferred between people without them ever having like written or verbal communication. So I don't know. You sleep next to somebody for 25 years. Maybe, um, <laughs> maybe you just pick things up. Osmosis. Out of their brain. 
Os- osmosis or swapping fluids. I don't know. Both. Anyway, <laughs> all of the above. All right. So where can people find this character so that they can download it and they can use it in their own settings? Yep. So it's patreon.com slash Italian. It's my Patreon. Uh, we offer it for free. So every character that appears on the show will be detailed and available for anyone to use. But we're going to compile them also on DriveThruRPG, where we'll have a collection called 5e RPG Gothic Villains. And that will be a collection of villains that are compatible with the other supplement we've written, which is 5e RPG Gothic Adventures. This is not particularly gothic, so it doesn't really, you don't need that one. But uh, Gothic Villains will be the compilation. So it'll, it'll appear twice, but it will be available for free for anybody to modify and use as they see fit at patreon.com slash Italian. Okay, great. All right. And I think that'll wrap up Nabanga for us, episode six of... 50 date night screams. I was maybe screaming for a different reason during this movie than what I had originally intended when we conceived this show. And, uh, but it's all fine. It's all good. Uh, so Mike, anything else you want to add about Nabanga before we go? I hope right, you right here in this spot, please add angry monkey noises. (laughs) If you could, if you could edit that chirping and maybe a roar of Nabonga, that would be fantastic to just play us out. So just if you could, this is my placeholder for it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, um, that I can make that happen. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for rolling up that character and describing it. And as always, thanks for watching these amazing movies with me. Thanks for watching Monkey Movies with me, Amber. <laughs> Thanks for listening to 50 Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the 50 Date Night Screams episodes at patreon.com slash Italian. Until next time, don't stop screaming. 50 Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca.